1: You look at marketing and the millennials, and that's what they're all looking for. They want the place, they want the story, they want something that their mom and dads aren't going to be drinking and haven't consumed, and they want to be the first one to post the, the pictures on Instagram so all their friends. So if they go down to the the in, in Miami and they're sitting under a tiki hut drinking an avocado and mango wine, this is awesome, Instagrammable, right? But are they going to buy a case and ship it home?
2: I'm Robin Sussingham, and this is The Zest. Citrus, seafood, Spanish flavor, and southern charm, The Zest celebrates cuisine and community in the Sunshine State. It might be one of the state's best-kept secrets, but Florida winemaking is a billion-dollar industry. There are dozens of wineries across the state employing nearly 100,000 people with university research departments dedicated to viticulture. How can this hot, humid, fungus-friendly state support successful wine production? We have some experts here to talk to us about Florida wine. Vince Shook is president of Florida Orange Groves Winery, a tropical berry and citrus winery. Chuck Hallweg is a non-commercial hobbyist grape grower and winemaker. Gina Birch is host of Great Minds podcast from WGCU, the NPR member station in Fort Myers, and they brought samples. We're going to be trying some of their wines. Vince, Chuck, Gina, thanks for being here. Thank you. Thanks
0: it's a nice to be here. Thanks for having us.
2: So let's start off, I want to start off with the history of winemaking, because when I was getting ready for this show, I was very surprised to learn about the history of Florida winemaking, which I thought would have been just, you know, started in the last couple decades. But who who wants to tell us about that? Well, you know, it goes back to when the
1: Spaniards came. You know they brought the grapes, and and, and in some aspects, uh, I've had I've talked to different people, and I've been doing stories about Florida wine. Um, they say Florida was one
2: of the first states in the in the nation to grow grapes. I mean, I have heard even more than that. I heard that it is the cradle of winemaking for the country. That the French Huguenots. This yes. is, so I've read a couple different reports, but the French Boy. Huguenots in. The French Huguenots, back in the 16th the f- century, the, the f- French Huguenots at Fort Caroline in 1564 was right. the first documented. Isn't that amazing?
1: It's, it's amazing. Of course, those grapes didn't work. <laughs> you know the the vines that they brought because you of what you mentioned the humidity, the uh, the climate, and uh, so that's when they started switching and and they found the muscadines, the the gro- grapes that were native to Florida. They
2: found the the muscadine grapes, which were native here, and started making wine. Mm-hmm. And um, I think somebody. A, a, a a British admiral came and reported that they had something like 1,200 gallons of wine. They were starving to death, mm-hmm. but they had okay. all they had wine. wine.
0: Right? <laughs> so, yeah. Vince? Yeah. Uh, one of the, the good things about the muscadine variety here in Florida is that it has resistance to what's called Pierce's disease. Mm-hmm. And Pierce's disease is simply a bacteria that gets inside the, the, the veins, of the vines, multiplies, and then and it strangles the flow of uh, nutrients and water to the vine. And... Um, Fortunately, muscadines have a resistance to that. The vinifera, you know, like your Merlot's, your Chardonnay's, uh, things like that, they do not have a resistance to that. So that's why we can't grow vinifera here in Florida. So,
2: that is the species of grape that all the traditional Bordeaux, Pinot Noir, all the different things that you might have heard of, that comes from the species. Vinifera?
0: Yes, that's this the ca- the classification as opposed to like our muscadine variety here okay. in Florida. So. so
2: it's a completely different species. It's native to Florida, Correct. and it loves the heat and the humidity.
0: It's kind of interesting because some of the people that I've talked to in the different universities that are doing the studies on trying to get the gene uh, for resistance to uh, be placed into the Merlots and the Chardonnays and things like that. We so say, well, why? Is there so much research in Florida on that? And they said, well, here we have the best bugs in the world. (laughs) We have the highest humidity. We have the most fungus. We have the most scale. And our weeds, they're just absolutely fantastic. So if they can (laughs) design a plant that's going to survive and flourish in that environment, they've pretty much got it licked. It's sturdy. Yes. (laughs) And those (laughs) thicker
1: skins, too, on those muscadines help protect against a lot of the... uh, Disease and bugs as
2: well. Yeah, Chuck, talk about the muscadine grapes. Now, you're a grape grower. What are you growing?
3: We're a hobbyist grape grower, actually in Newport, Ritchie, and we're growing three different cultivars. I have uh, two whites and a red, cultivar obviously being a species.
2: Cultivar of muscadine? Of
3: muscadine grapes. So, one of our cultivars is a Carlos, which is a white wine, which when it's made properly is much like a Chardonnay, except it has that kind of musky musky muscadine pop to it that's very Um, distinct they're very distinct and then we have a a noble uh, which is a smaller red grape smaller red berry which we use a lot of times for our grape sangria makes a great sangria wine i'm sure vince knows that and (laughs) uh i admire vince and his operation uh due to he he does a lot of things with muscadine grapes most growers don't so um my aspect from a hobbyist is I'm not financially in, involved in it to the point that I can't just play with my grapes. So we mm-hmm. do a lot of blending we do a lot of uh, I have some new cultivars I find coming up I still have room to put more rows in I'll put a few plants in to see what happens then see how that grape develops. University of Florida brought the delicious to market what seven years ago I believe Dr. Dennis Gray from the University of Florida Viticulture bred that in a popka. And uh, he gave a presentation, which Vince and I heard at the Florida Grape Growers Association annual conference. And I said, uh, Dr. Gray, how did you get the name Delicious for that grape? Mm-hmm. And wouldn't you know, he said, well, everybody who had tried them said they were delicious, so it stuck.
0: Mm-hmm. So,
3: you know, it's that kind of thing that runs our industry. It's kind of a seat of your pants, the tremendous amount of science behind it, considering it took him almost 15 years to bring that grape variety or that grape cultivar to market.
2: And they're, they're working on it at the University of Florida, as you mentioned. Also, Florida A&M. University has a viticulture department. Uh, They're having a grape harvest festival coming up. And uh, so I was, you know, there's a lot of research going on to make grapes, I guess, more suitable for Florida. And so what's the difference between a hobbyist, Chuck, and a um, commercial grower? Because Chuck, you say you're a hobbyist, but you, it sounds like you're pretty serious. I mean, you're growing quite a few acres, and, and you're making wine, and I guess you are se- Are you selling wine on a limited basis? What mm-hmm. What's the difference here?
3: Big difference. Uh, the difference is we're not licensed. Uh, it's a night and day thing. Licensing requires a lot of oversight by the TTB, Tax Tobacco Bureau. Um, a lot of compliance goes with that. We do not sell it. We make just enough for our personal consumption and, and friends who, who no, you visit don't us. don't sell. Yeah. So, so, can right, we
2: uh, so go to your house after the show?
1: And you're <laughs> welcome,
3: <laughs> and we brought samples. So,
2: Gina, what about Florida wine? Um, how do we judge the quality? Are there competitions, are there awards that are given to Florida wine where they would be maybe compared to each other rather than compared to a Napa <laughs> Valley winery or a New York State winery? Yeah, you
1: know, most all states have some type of competition. Now, they do it a lot of the state fairs, and, and we do have the, that type of uh, competition here in the state of Florida. And I think what makes Florida uh, also unique is, besides the grapes, it's the tropical fruit wines. So then you're talking about a whole other category of wines and and how they're made and the quality and uh, and perception. I think Florida nationally and even within our own borders, uh, people have a perception that we don't. There's not any good wine. It's all kiwi or it's all. Uh, and that doesn't mean that the kiwi is not good. It's just not grapes. So people are looking at it differently. And sometimes, and you know, and it's apples and
2: oranges, you know, it's, it's kiwi and grapes. It's not mm-hmm. the same. It, it requires a change in your mindset. Right. So. Y- you know, I can see how a lot of wine connoisseurs would look down their nose at a okay. mango wine or an av- avocado wine I've mm-hmm. heard of. They do make that in Miami. They make that in mm-hmm. Miami. Avo- sweet avocado wine at Schnebly Wine. Schneeble, they mix it with mango. Yeah. So you could see how a sommelier <laughs> in a fine French restaurant might say, we would never carry a sweet avocado wine. But it does require a different mindset because it's apple and oranges. Vince, I want you to talk about, because you guys at Florida Orange Grove's winery, mm-hmm. you make wine out of tropical fruit.
0: Yes. We make 43 different kinds of uh, different tropical citrus and berry wines. I there. want you to
2: justify that for me.
0: Um, okay. Uh, let's start way back uh, about 35 years ago, and there was a study um, that came out in the Wall Street Journal, and it was the first study on, on wine consumption in the United States. At that time, 11% of the people in the United States consumed all the wine that was sold, 40% of the population uh, said they had tried wine, but they were not drinking it. And the rest of the people did not drink, you know, alcoholic beverages. What well, caught our eye in in that study, and we were in the citrus business at the time, squeezing the different juices and everything. Mm-hmm. I hadn't been out of college too long, so we were still trying to make uh, wine out of the different citrus juices, as we did in our <coughs> dorm rooms. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> that, uh, that study was interesting because they went back to the 40% sample that said they had tried wine and they weren't drinking it. And they asked them one simple question, why aren't you drinking it? Number one answer, it does not taste like what it is made out of. Number two-
2: Didn't taste like a grape to them.
0: Exactly. And number two, it wasn't sweet enough. Number three, we don't taste like the taste of alcohol. So if you look at that as an entrepreneur and you say, well, my goodness, that is a potential market that is four times as big as the existing you know, wine market in the United States. Therein lies the appeal for the type of wine that we are making. It took us 10 years to figure out how to make our key lime wine out of 100% key lime juice. So this has been quite an evolution for us. It's been, you know, 30 years in the making to get where we are today in the (coughs) tropical side of the variety production especially. But we always like to say... When we're pitching our wines for sale to, you know, whether it be restaurants or whatever, that mindset that you're talking about is the hardest thing to get over, okay? So we always say that, look, uh, our wines will bring flavor and style characteristics to your meals that regular grape wine can never hope to accomplish. So you pair them with the right foods, and you're off to the races. When I give my talks at Disney, because we're a good partner with Disney, one of the things I uh, talk about is we make a cranberry wine. I said, now, what are you going to pair that with? We have Thanksgiving coming up, turkey, mashed potatoes, and gravy, and cranberry wine. And there isn't a person in the audience that doesn't look left or right and go like, oh, yeah, that does sound good. Mm -hmm. So that's what we're after. We're after that market.
2: Mm -hmm. That's interesting. So how many, like you mentioned key lime wine, how many key limes would you need to make a bottle of wine? Like how how much fruit do you need to make the wine?
0: The rule of thumb, and it varies up and down depending on which type of fruit that we're making, but uh, generally it goes uh, 10 pounds.
2: 10 pounds for one bottle, for, for of, one bottle of, w- right. of wine. Yeah. So is that expensive or does it d- depend on the fruit?
0: It is. And that's one of the problems that we have is that grapes basically are you know one of the least expensive things to make wine out of really uh, when you go to red raspberries blackberries mangoes key limes, things like that. You have a whole different production process that's involved in getting the juice. Like, for example, mangoes. I mean, you've got to put them, or how we used to do it, uh, you put them in a commercial potato pillar, rough up the skins on the outside. Then you have to enzyme the the meat of the fruit off the stone. You have to get those stones out of there. Then you have to, you know, uh, uh, press the, you know, the mixture that you have left to get the juice to go into the into the fermenters it's quite a process so and mangoes are a lot more expensive than grapes are so but
2: you can't charge a lot for mango wine people wouldn't won't pay it i mean one reason i think these are attractive wines gina right is because they're people would see them a fruit wine as an affordable wine uh, typically yes and, you know
1: one of the things that makes some of the, the, the grapes the wines made from grapes out of napa expensive is as you pointed, it's not the fruit it's the real estate It's what they're paying in mortgage for that really nice piece of property that's high up on the mountain that Mm. has all of this history and these high ratings. So they're able to charge $150 for this great Napa Cab when really, you know, if those same grapes and that same style was somewhere else, it might be a $20 bottle of wine. Mm. So it is there is disparity there as well. It's not just with, like, the mangoes. Uh, versus the other fruit. I mean, it's,
2: it's, I think it's with the industry in general. That's interesting, because I never, I never thought of that. You're paying for that expensive real estate. You're also paying for that terroir, right? Yes. I mean, you can't transfer that (coughs) to Florida. You can't transfer that to somewhere else. Um, So Chuck, you are using grapes. And, you know, have you ever thought about Using fruit, or do you ever for your you know hobby? the grapes
3: are enough of a challenge. Uh, <laughs> the uh, the fruit is a challenge. Uh, I was listening to Vince on how much it takes to make a gallon uh, a bottle of wine. Our rule of thumb is 12 to 14 pounds of uh, muscadine grapes per gallon of wine. A gallon makes five bottles of wine. So there's the price comparison. It's a lot less expensive for us uh, when I do my crush. My crusher takes the stems out. I'm left with some seeds as, as residue when I have my uh, primary fermentation. That's easy to rack off of. We can pull a wine off of that very simply. So it, it's a much easier process. So
2: Chuck, you are retired. You, you're a retired financial uh, wealth advisor? Correct. Private wealth advisor, mm-hmm. I think is uh, how Correct. you put it. So. How much have you put into this <laughs> all this winemaking equipment? How much would it how much would it set somebody back to to start making wine?
3: Uh, f- you mean to start a vineyard and then buy the equipment? You've got the whole uh, thing, don't you? Yeah. You've got
2: the vineyard and the equipment. Correct. Yeah. Uh, the bottling and everything? You have. We do everything,
3: line? yeah. Okay. In fact, my wife is our packaging manager. So, the <laughs> uh, <laughs> our I, labels.
2: I, yeah, if you don't mind, I'm going to ask an intrusive question. But, like, yeah, how, how much do you think you have invested in, in all of your oh, winemaking? Gosh,
3: I don't know. It's under $10,000, probably. Really? Yeah.
2: With the acreage and the grapes? And well, no, the, the
3: acreage is different. Yeah, the acreage okay. adds another. 60, 70 to it, probably.
2: Right. Yeah. But you love seeing the grapes out there. I do.
3: They're my babies. How mm-hmm. many
2: acres do you have in grapes? We
3: just have one.
2: One acre. Correct. And it makes all those, they're very prolific then, Muscadine. They are.
3: Yeah, they are.
2: Okay. And then what about you, Vince? How many acres and what do you, do you have groves yourself or do you buy the fruit? How do you work it?
0: Um, for most of our uh, wines that we make, we actually purchase the fruit. So there's no way that we can have, uh,
2: you don't have, to have mango, mango groves, groves and okay. key
0: lime groves and things like that. Mm-hmm. So we work with producers that are willing to squeeze the juice uh, to our specifications. So um, we do have some uh, uh, land that uh, we lease for muscadine vineyards that uh, uh, get us qualified as a Florida farm winery. So uh, we have that that we deal with. But most of the juices that we're getting now we we're, that we used to squeeze on-site, We're big enough now that we can have specifications and enough volume that we can go to outside producers and have them provide the juice to us.
2: So you don't have your own orange groves anymore then? No, we do not.
0: And you see that segmentation coming like out in California a lot. Mm -hmm. Everything is being broken up. You'll have the people that actually grow the grapes, the vineyard owners. Then you'll have the uh, actual wineries that are making the wine. And then you'll have the distribution networks of the people that are selling the wine. So they're breaking it up. It's a huge undertaking, as I'm sure Chuck will tell you, to try to do all, all three or four aspects of the operation.
2: Is that new, Gina? Because I always thought, thinking of California wineries or even, even New York State, I always pictured a vast, you know, vast acreage of, of vineyards and then the winery right there that makes the wines. Is that not well, how it is anymore? There
1: still is a lot of that. There's still some family-owned wines, but, you know, with the popularity and the clout and the the people from Silicon Valley who now have extra money and they don't know what to do with it, and they want to go buy a vineyard or or buy some land, and and then they hire people to do all the work for them. Mm -hmm. Um, That's just kind of the way the culture, the things are shifting out in Napa specifically. Now, you go over to some place like Spain. Um, there are still a lot of family owned. They've, it's been in the family for a long time. They own the land. They own the grapes. They own the equipment. They own everything. So that's why some of those wines are going to be a little lower price. doesn't necessarily mean that they're any less value. It just means that they don't have to spend all that money on hiring everybody and sourcing everything out.
2: Mm-hmm. And um, one thing I saw was there was wineries in Florida that actually um, didn't even use Florida Produce. They they just yeah. brought juice in I from think elsewhere.
1: Lake Ridge might be one of those. They do have a lot of acreage. They do grow a lot of grapes. They're in Claremont, and uh, the winemaker there is the one who worked with the uh, University of Florida to come up with a new grape, the Blanc de Bois. -hmm. And it's also being grown in Texas now. And they make a sparkling wine out of that. Um, But they've got this beautiful rolling property, rolling hills, and it used to be orange groves too. Mm -hmm. And so they make, they use a lot of the hybrid grapes (coughs) that, you know, Vince and Chuck were talking about, but they also. They have Chardonnay and they have Merlot. So they're sourcing those grapes and they're bringing them in. Whether they're bringing, I can't, I don't know if they're pressed or how they're brought in, if they're pressed in California and and the juice is shipped, a lot of times that's done. And then they do the fermenting and the blending and everything on property. So it can still say bottled in Florida or Florida wine, even though the grapes, you know, weren't grown on property. Mm -hmm. So that happens a lot. That happens um,
2: all over the place. I would think just as a tourist, you, that's not why you would go to a Florida winery is to, to drink grapes made from California. I think it supplements what they do. It must supplement it. So and maybe some people only will accept something like a Chardonnay mm-hmm. and, not, and not a Kiwi or a key lime wine. Mm-hmm.
1: Or if they have a specific taste. I mean, it's all, it's all relative, right? It's, it's all in the best wine is the wine that you like. If you like sweet wine, great. If someone doesn't like sweet wine and they go to one of these wineries, then they have an option. They've got something else that they can drink and, and purchase and help support our economy.
0: <laughs> and that's why we make, like we say, 43 different kinds because there's – you're right. People do have certain things that they like, certain tastes that they like. And um, so you try to offer something for everybody. But, you know, there's a lot of different tastes out there. You don't hit everybody's palate, you know.
2: <laughs> so I wanted to talk about – how you feel? You you mentioned restaurants briefly, Vince, and I. There must be some frustration with trying to get your wines accepted by restaurants, local restaurants, Florida restaurants, who kind of you know they they look down on Florida wines and they won't they won't sell them. What what do you, how do you handle that?
0: Well, we have a lot of restaurant change now in Florida that, uh, in particular, our tropicals appeal to. Okay, but. The The big problem is not that they don't like the wines or that they look down on them. The, the problem is the pricing, and we cannot meet their price points when it comes to purchasing inexpensive uh, wines from, whether they're coming in from Chile or wherever, you know. So the globalization has affected the industry here in Florida from that standpoint. Uh, the competition, a lot of other factors that go into uh, trying to... Um, make Florida wine uh, economically viable, you know. It's do
2: you all ever, I, I understand that, but do you all ever um, try to talk to sommeliers from, say, you know, Burns Steakhouse, which mm-hmm. has uh, 500,000 mm-hmm. or bottles of wine, whatever it is, but they won't carry Florida wine?
0: That's, yeah, that, you're going to mm. find the mindset really entrenched in um, high-end restaurants like that.
2: Right. They just they just won't put it on the menu. So no. Go ahead, Gina. And
1: I have to interrupt briefly because I was at a higher-end restaurant in Marco Island at the JW Marriott recently and the restaurant was called Ario and the sommelier was really interested and in, in tune with trying to find wines that weren't on everybody's list. She didn't want the Camus or the, uh, uh, some of the other big wines that people know all the time and they, that are comfortable and they can go and order. She had two Florida wines on there. They were both from Lake Ridge. She was a, there was a red and a white. Really? The red was a cab. So this goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Are there any local grapes or indigenous grapes or hybrid grapes that are blended in there? I don't know. I did not get to read the back of the bottle. Um, I did try a, one of the whites and it did have muscadine in it. And she served it with a key lime pie for dessert. Perfect. So it it, it went it went perfectly. Mm-hmm. You know what I could definitely taste that musky the muskiness from the muscadine and then it also some of the tropical flavors. And it was seamless. So something like that, it's just getting the right buyer to taste it and, and get it, and then getting them to train their staff to try to serve it and turn the diners on to it. Otherwise it's just going to sit there and collect dust. Mm-hmm. So it's a big
2: task. Right, Gina, and there's something just about the experience of trying a Florida wine, right? I mean, you're looking for something different, as Mm -hmm. you said this um, restaurant was. Yes, are you? It's even a a souvenir, Mm -hmm. or it's a feeling of the place. Where you are, or I, even a funny label?
1: I think that's, that's big right now. And you look at marketing and the millennials, and that's what they're all looking for. They want the place. They want the story. They want something that their mom and dads aren't going to be drinking and haven't consumed. And they want to be the first one to post the, the pictures on Instagram, so all their friends. So if they go down to the, the Snebblies in, in Miami and they're sitting under a tiki hut drinking an avocado and mango wine, this is awesome. Instagrammable. Right. But are they going to buy a case and ship it home? Are they going to, if they see it in Publix or one of the supermarkets, buy a bunch of it? Or is it just that experience? And is that experience enough? You know, are you selling enough wine to make it enough? Uh, that's, that's a conundrum that the gentleman would probably be able to comment more on.
0: It is a conundrum. And um, um, you, you touched on something that really uh, uh, kind of uh, sets off a spark in me, and that's uh, being able to ship the wine home. Okay, mm-hmm. one of the huge problems that the wine industry here in Florida and other states mm-hmm. has is the regulatory environment, and um, I'm not sure whether most people are aware of it. But Amazon Wine shut down December 31st, 2017, and the reason they shut down is because of all the problems that um, they experience that that we do as a small winery. Um, you have to have licenses now to ship into all the other different states. Okay. And you have to pay excise tax and uh, uh, sales tax and any other kind of tax and gallon taxes and keep all the records and send reports in every month to all these states with names and addresses of people that you sent to how much they bought and all this kind of stuff. So those regulations have been put in place by the large distributors, mainly to keep uh, a business flowing through them, the product flowing through them on the way to the consumers. But uh, in the case of Amazon Wine, you have the smaller wineries that signed up for the program, but there were so few that could comply with the regulatory uh, problems with all the different states that that is a program that failed. And that is one of the big pressures that we have trying to um, figure out how to get our product to people once they've come, tasted it here in Florida, want it once they get home, it's, it's a big problem.
2: Oh yeah, because shipping a case home is what people want to do exactly. if they mm-hmm. like it. So you aren't able to do that. That's is that a problem for you? Or do you We have are to hire licensed. people to do all those all that regulatory.
0: You're stuff? looking you're looking at the guy who handles it <laughs> for our place, and we have 15 states that we're licensed to ship into, and we keep an eye on um, uh, those sales each year to see whether all the license fees on top of all the taxes and everything make it worthwhile to continue to offer shipment into those states. So it's a constant problem and it's a lot of work. So Spend sp- a lot of weekends uh, doing those things while the bureaucrats are home for the weekend. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Vince, does the process for making a wine from fruit, does that from tropical fruit? Mm-hmm. Does that <clears> differ <throat> a lot from the process of making it from grapes?
0: Uh, in the preparation of the juice, yes. But, you know, you're still trying to get the juice for the fermentation process. Like I say, it did take us a long time to learn how to make uh, key lime wine from 100% key lime juice. All our tropicals and citrus and berry wines are made 100% from the juice that's indicated by the label. So they all do taste like what they're made out of, which was... That was um, important that to That was you. very important. So, um, But... Uh, the fermentation is pretty much uh, uh, like it is for a grape, uh, uh, making a grape wine. We do have some special yeast we've developed over the years uh, that will enhance our type of production. Uh, we have applied for some patents on some of the uh, uh, those yeast and production methods and things like that. So. It's been a learning experience, and uh, like I say, it's been a 30-year 30 uh, thirty-year effort.
2: Do so. you share with other wineries, like Schneebeli's? we were talking about down in South Florida?
0: Uh, not on any technical data, no.
2: Oh, so it's kind of um, private.
0: Yes, once you spend all your time and effort developing those things, you'd like to keep it proprietary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, proprietary.
2: Okay, well, I think we it's time to taste some of these wines. All right. <laughs> While you're opening that up, Vince, uh, one of your wines, Chuck, you mentioned there are some competitions for, for Florida wines. Correct. One's a big one at the Florida State Fair. Florida State Fair. Tell me about that. Sure.
3: That's, uh, that is promoted they, uh, by the Florida Wine and Grape Growers Association. and We bring in the judges from outside, from many different schools, um, and we'll bring in the, uh, both commercial and hobbyist wines. <laughs> Uh, the hobbyist will be judged according to a different panel than the commercials will. So mm-hmm. it's a pretty even competition. So
2: the hobbyist will just be for <laughs> your pride. Correct. Because we Regular. won't, uh, as, <laughs> as drinkers, we won't get to try it. Right, but right. the commercial ones, I mean, is that publicized anywhere? Who oh, yeah, who wins the prizes?
3: It's a publication, and Vince is one of our champion winners year after year. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh. I, and, you Congratulations. Know, I, it always helps in your tasting room to have the medals and the trophies and the ribbons from the state fair.
2: Who are some of the best wine, grow, wine makers well, I, in the
3: I state? Think Vince is one of the, our best in the, uh, the fruit, mm-hmm. I think hands down. I mean, the research and the quality wines that they produce. Um, Strong Tower is close to us. Uh, most of the Florida wineries that have been around for a while specialize in a certain type, one or two or three types of grapes, mm-hmm. cultivars of grapes. So they have the processing down on those particular grapes.
2: Why are mm-hmm. Muscadines considered sort of an inferior? grape to, uh, I don't know, a Cabernet, a traditional grape that you'd think of in winemaking. Um, or you don't think of it that way anymore.
3: It's a perception to start with, I think. And that's the big thing to overcome because I find a lot of people want to taste our wines. They come over to the house and, you know, I you know, will pop a bottle of wine. Mm-hmm. And they get this funny face, well, that doesn't taste like what I'm expecting. And there is your problem. So in um, what way
2: is it different? We're about to find out because we're gonna taste we it. Uh,
3: you'll taste it. I'm um, going to let you taste it and yeah. you be the judge. let me know.
2: Okay, well, mm. it's all just right. a very distinct flavor I think. Yes. Open a bottle of muscadine for sure. <coughs> you know all and the, what all have you s- Vince, what have you brought?
0: we brought our number one seller, which is uh, Hurricane Class 5. That is a blend of five of our different tropical wines that we make. So that one has mango wine in it, key lime wine, passion fruit wine, watermelon wine, and pineapple wine.
2: Wow. So I had mentioned the labels before because I think that's part of the appeal, isn't it? Especially as a souvenir. Oh, absolutely. And this label, Hurricane Class 5, has uh, a big picture of maybe it was – Which hurricane was that? Looks like Irma, maybe? I think
0: that was Irma. We try to change it depending on what our latest nemesis (laughs) has been in the state. The
2: latest hurricane (laughs) is on there. And, um, you know, if just looking at that gives you some anxiety, which it does uh, to me, then you you drink drink some of that wine. (laughs) (laughs) So these are made, or let's see, you have this... This black gold, this is a blackberry. Oh, so That's these are all fruit that you brought.
0: Yes, and I have a sample of the key lime, too, if you'd like to try that. Okay, it's what's uh, your bestseller? Uh, the Hurricane Class 5, followed by the key lime.
2: Okay, and, and why is it called key lime
0: Because when we first started to make it, we couldn't figure out how to make it out of, like I said, 100% key lime juice. So it was a blend of some things in the ferment, mainly grapefruit. Okay, so the name stuck with the, uh, the licensing, and after... You know, 10 or 15 years of marketing it as Key Lime and we didn't want to change the name.
2: So even though it is now all Key Lime It's all 100%
0: Key Lime and it says so on the label, yes
2: Okay, so this is Hurricane Describe to me what's in this
0: Okay, so (laughs) this is a blend of uh, five of the different tropicals that we make So we make each wine separately and then blend it So this has, uh, like I said, it has our uh, passion fruit wine, pineapple wine mango wine key lime wine and watermelon wine all blended together
2: and this smells like something like a tropical fruit that you've never smelled before but just delicious right you can't really put your finger on it
0: exactly and Uh, usually if you take a couple sips you know the first time you'll get a finish of maybe pineapple the second you'll hit that key lime or passion fruit Mm -hmm. finish and then you know Depending the on pine what your sensitivity stronger, is.
2: pineapple's stronger, maybe yeah. the pineapple's coming out, the mango. I'm,
0: mm-hmm, I'm just... Mm-hmm. My wife and I use this a lot when we have a party. Because I mean, we'll put it in a pitcher with a wedge of watermelon in there, mango sliced up, key lime sliced up. I mean, it's... This is it's just a, a party
2: in a cup. Vince. There you go. <laughs> this, <laughs> this is punt. I mean, it tastes uh. delicious. It's delicious. This would be a great party wine.
1: You
0: like that? They're yeah. Good. You
2: know, I get
1: a lot of the, I When you were talking about pineapple, mm-hmm. I smelled a lot of it first, and I right. tasted a lot of it first. But now I'm getting that passion fruit and there that you mango go. just kind a little of wafting bit of the key line. Over. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah. you Yeah. I'm getting
2: that nice. at the end. Mm-hmm.
0: So this is a good, we like to call it escapist wine for Florida. Yeah. When customers come down, tourists, okay, mainly, um, they're looking for the Florida escapist experience. A lot of times I tell people, when they ask me what are you selling, I s- I tell them that that's really what we're selling is escapism, like Jimmy Buffett sells mm-hmm. it in the form of his music. We're selling it in the form of our this wine.
2: Cool wine. Um, yeah, I could I could drink a lot of this.
0: People have. Well, I don't
2: know. It's sweet. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I feel like it. You know, I could right now, but it is sweet. Well, so.
0: it's it's funny because you mentioned drinking a lot of it. Uh, if you notice, it doesn't taste like it has any alcohol in it. That hits another one of our... It's
2: 10%, though. I'm looking at it there. 10 to 11%, yeah. You're allowed
0: 1.5% on either side of what the uh, indication is on the label. Ours usually come in uh, higher alcohol than what is on the label. But um, I always get a kick at Thanksgiving when people come back in after Thanksgiving and they've had the cranberry wine and they say well you know you should have told us that that packs a big punch and I went (laughs) well are you drinking it like it was cranberry juice or cranberry wine I go like it goes down "Mm, easy yeah (laughs) so uh.
2: okay so that now how does 10% Chuck compare with other wines other kinds of wine well, typically
3: the reds, the beefier reds, like the vinifera wines, will be twelve to almost thirteen percent. Okay. Uh, the the whites, uh, like what Vince is serving here and what I have here, are probably ten to eleven percent. And it's all a process of uh, the fermentation. How much sugar we start with, what your bricks levels are, bricks being the sugar content in the grape. Uh, the higher the bricks, generally, the higher the alcohol.
2: So it's not that there is so much more alcohol in it. It's just that. It goes down more like just a fruit juice or a, um, a punch or something that you may not be as careful <laughs>
0: about.
1: Right.
2: <laughs> okay, so we've got the key lime in, the original key lime in, which is key lime wine, 100% from key lime juice. Let's try it.
0: And the key lime... Pairs perfectly with our Florida seafood dishes. So it's a little bit higher in acid, higher in acid content. So if you have something with a a glaze or a cheese sauce or something like that, it cleanses your palate between bites of food. Very, very Florida.
2: Okay. A fried grouper sandwich. Oh, yes. And some key lime wine. There you go. That's one of the first things I noticed, that this does have nice acidity
1: to it. Mm -hmm. So, and that's one of the keys, as you said, to going with food. And I wanted something... Kind of salty and, and maybe a little fatty to sure. to cut through that with.
0: Yeah, we have a good passion fruit wine that fits that bill too. Mm-hmm. It's a different type of tartness than the key lime, and uh, uh, but we sell a lot of all of them.
2: <laughs> yeah, there's a little tartness. I can mm-hmm. feel it now. Mm-hmm. But enough sweetness that for yes. um,
0: that, that crowd that likes a little bit. <laughs> so, you know. Then we have our blackberry wine, which is really good. Okay, this and is this blackberry. is this is made from a special type of blackberries. Uh, it took us a long time to figure out which variety of blackberry that we wanted to use to make this wine. So. Now,
2: this won't blackberries won't grow in Florida, will they?
0: No, we do buy these outside of the state and press them for the juice. Okay. Mm-hmm. And this is one of our this is in our top uh, top five. So
2: I love how it's much more subtle smell, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's. Um,
0: and this one, we I brought the semi sweet version today for you, but we also make a dry version of this.
2: Okay, I was wondering uh, just, if you make any you try to make any yes. dry.
0: We have a couple dry, we make a drier blueberry, we make a drier blackberry, you know, things like that. So I'm everybody. sure
2: you sell a selling
1: point for you too with this when we were talking about traditional wines and fruit wines is the three things you just mentioned, the blackberry the blueberry. There are a lot of those big cabs and um, petite verdots and some of these big reds, traditional grapes that have these flavor profiles. Absolutely. So if people right. knew that and could could wrap their head around that, then it and then I think it's a uh, better way to embrace it. Right, Gina. Do you think people are worried about their uh, their image? <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, I think, I think the whole wine world is full of that, mm-hmm. you know, full of people who um, are intimidated or who protest to, or, you know, who come in and they really don't know. You see mm-hmm. the restaurants all the time. They don't know what they're ordering. They, lo- they want a price point right. because they want to impress or they feel like um, if it's in a certain price point, it's going to be a certain quality. And um, and I, I agree with that. You say sweet or you say this or you say that, and it's kind of like taboo. Oh, well, if I really know about wine or if I really like wine or from I'm a real connoisseur, I can't have that.
2: I wouldn't want sweet wine. Right. right,
1: right. But then, I mean, you look at some of the, the great sweet wines all over the world, the Salterns from France, and mm-hmm. and and people pay a lot of money to drink those sweeter wines, you know. And so there is a huge market for for the the sweet wine category, but it is a lot
2: of pretense involved. I think in I would love thing. to see a taste test of blind taste test of some of these compared with some of those very expensive wines mm-hmm. and see what happens. We
0: have one over the last. Uh, Twenty some years of entering the wines in competition, we've won over 374 medals for them. We have 12 best of shows. We have 12 best of class. We have 56 double gold medals. Um, yes, it's kind of uh, an interesting, uh, you know, category. So,
2: I thought that was delicious. That blackberry, you like that? Yeah. All right, Chuck, you got your wine out for us.
0: I'd love to serve some.
2: All right. So now you, you've got some. This is wine that you made yourself. From your own grapes, and they're muscadine grapes?
3: That's correct. The first is a Carlos muscadine, a white grape. Ours, you'll find, has a little bit of a sweet pop up front, uh-huh. which uh, I, th- I find people really, really enjoy.
2: So so let me them. see your label. What do you call it? Sure. Chuck's wine or?
3: <laughs> Les
2: So why the French uh, chickens? Well, we
3: have chickens, and we range the chickens in the vines, and the chickens do a lot for us. They're great for pest control, and obviously there's a little bit of fertilizer that goes along with it. They scratch so much, they aerate the soil. So So um, you're doing uh,
2: holistic farming over there. Well, (laughs) our version of it. Yeah, (laughs) very nice. So this is Le Poulet, Chuck Holweg's wine.
0: Please enjoy.
2: Totally different than the than the fruit wine, mm-hmm, correct?
0: And a very nice balance, by the way. I you like that. A little yeah, m- yeah.
1: Musky some astringency finish? at the end. Yeah, so yeah, that's that's how I tell the muscadine. Oh, it's very wow. distinct finish.
2: Like an astringency at the end, or some tannins that you get at the
1: end. Probably
3: a it? tannins that have developed. Mm-hmm. This is a three-year-old wine. It uh, won a uh, silver medal at the state fair three years ago.
2: And is would you consider it a dry wine?
0: Yes, it's a dry wine. Mm-hmm. Most of my wines are dry. I like the brightness at the end. Mm-hmm. You know, See? just it, it makes you that little bit of salivation that you get after. That's I like that. I don't know
2: what to compare it to. It doesn't taste like a Chardonnay. It's a white wine, but it doesn't taste. What does it taste like? You What's know, I'm the closest? glad you said
3: that. It's like what does the why does a Merlot taste like a Chardonnay? Uh, these are there are stand, muscadine wines. Muscadine grapes are a standalone flavor, mm-hmm. and the, the trick in making these wines is to understand the fruit and develop that flavor. And when we ferment, we use, I'll pick out from a panel of yeasts, as I'm sure you, uh, Vince does, which yeast I want for that particular grape after I've been tasting the grape while we've been picking them. Mm-hmm. And then we'll support that yeast with different uh, flavor enzymes or bodybuilding enzymes or mouthfeel building enzymes throughout the primary and secondary fermentation process. So you develop that particular flavor.
2: One thing I wanted to mention, Gina, is when I looked at the map of the Florida wineries, um, you're in St. Petersburg, right, mm-hmm. Vince? Yes. But a, a, a lot of them, I'd say the majority of them, are in really small towns <laughs> and rural areas. And they've got to be helping the economy of whatever tiny little town that they are in. I think that they, they're they sort of a, a rural economic driver that, that we hadn't thought about.
1: Right. When you talk about agro-tourism, how big that's getting in the state, you know, with people – having their small farms and, and having activities for for families and, and people to visit and uh, and get those organic and, and locally grown produce I think that these local wineries, these Florida wineries just fit perfectly into that
2: into that um, And they're definitely off the beaten track right <laughs> A lot of them. Chuck, here's the other wine that you brought. Describe this.
3: Sure, this is a 2017 noble. It's a red wine, smaller berry. Uh, This is the one we like to use for our sangria wines, and it's a great standalone wine, too. This also won a silver medal at the State Fair.
1: Okay. So enjoy. Cheers. Thank you. Cheers. The color looks a little bit like a Pinot Noir. It
3: -hmm. does.
0: It's Mm -hmm. light. I like it. It's nice. I like this astringency. It's good. Very Very good. good.
2: What food – this is dry. Correct. Um, It's a nice dry red wine. I don't know. I'm thinking lamb chops?
3: Lamb would be good. Veal would be good. Uh, I pork. I this with pork. Uh, yeah. Pork, exactly. pork chops. Yeah. Sure. Mm-hmm.
1: yeah. And maybe yeah. even even Thanksgiving. Yeah. Be, with, with all of the flavors at the table, it's light enough, Correct. but also has enough acidity to go
2: with a mishmash of food that you would have at a holiday table.
1: Correct.
3: Yeah. Okay.
2: Chuck Holweg is a hobbyist, grape grower, and winemaker. Vince Shook is president of Florida Orange Groves Winery. And Gina Birch is host of Great Minds Podcast from WGCU. Thank you all so much. This has been so much fun. had a good time. Thank
3: you. Thank you for asking. Time has flown by. Very enjoyable.
2: That's it for this week's show. I want to mention a good book to have if you'd like to visit some wineries. Florida Wine Country Guide to Northern Wineries by Pamela Watson is a good one to have. And you'll find a link to a map of Florida wineries on our website, thezestpodcast.com. Thank you so much for joining us. If you like what you hear, rate us on iTunes and subscribe. We've also got a great newsletter with cooking tips and recipes and links to our stories that you can subscribe to through our website, thezestpodcast.com. I'm Robin Sussingham. D'Elia Cologne, and I produce The Zest with help from Megan Tremble, Mark Hayes, and Richard Jimenez. The Zest is a production of WUSF Public Media.